Welcome to The Rig Report, where we bring you the latest news from all around the CrossFit world from the people making the news. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Please help us out by taking a second to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Who knows, you may find a pot of gold with all the content we have there for you. On this week's episode, we have special guests Kristen Holta and Spencer Pancheck, as well as Rosa Giles is back for part two of her story. We have expert analysis on this year's Open from Catherine and Dave of Fantasy Fitnessing and commentary about the accessibility of this year's Open and what it means for the top of the leaderboard from the Blue City crew. We start this week with Kristen Holta, who in her post-games retirement tour went on a tear through the off-season events and finished her competitive career by doing what Kristen Holta always does in the Open. We dive into the next phase of her career and what that will look like on the other side of the competition floor. So we are with the recently retired Kristen Holta, and I want to talk to her about what it's like, um, first, for a mindset point of view for her, doing the Open for the first time when you don't have the pressure of what is next. So you did the Open this year, and you did remarkably well. I know that we're talking, it's Monday morning, so we have not have a finalized leaderboard yet, but currently you're in the top 20, but you are retired. So what does that feel like when you don't have the pressure of what's next? It's, um, on one side, it's, it's really, it's fun to do the workouts because there is no pressure. Um, on the other side, it's, different because I don't have to perform. I don't really have to go to the dark place and push really hard. So I've learned so much from these three weeks, um, just going into every workout with no, really no preparations, uh, especially with like regarding the mindset. So when like in the workout, when I feel like this is, this is getting really hard, like um, I don't really want to do this. It's like, I don't have to do it. So I don't really want to push. And that's been like, it's, it's been very different for me. And it's been an eye opener to see that, how much the mental part um, affects my performance. Uh, and I'm just happy that I've actually spent a lot of time during these past eight years on the mental side, because now I can see like, I... I don't perform my absolute best if I don't prepare both mentally and physically. So what does a typical day look like for you now? Are, you know, when you were a professional athlete, you were training all day. Now, what does it look like? Well, I'm still trying to hold on a little bit, like (laughs) trying to stay in shape. (laughs) I I don't think I want to accept not being like uh, feeling in as good as a shape as I have been the past years. Uh, so I'm still training pretty hard, um, but training is not my priority. So that's why like, I don't go in and I don't warm up for an hour like I usually do. I don't spend a lot of time um, preparing for my workouts. I usually just go in and do a brief workout and then um, Maybe I'll jump on someone else's program. I do my Krieger training program and and then I go home and then I work. Um, But I still train at least two hours most days. Some days, if I have time, I'll do two sessions with some of the other athletes at the gym. Uh, But I don't have to. And it's it's nice to just do what I feel like and and enjoy it in a different way. So you we're on our podcast right after the games last year. You talked to us about how you were retired, but there was a couple of events you wanted to finish up and that off season or what would typically be an off season for you, but the end of your career was remarkable. You got to do rogue where they treat the athletes like superstars. You got to do Dubai where you podiumed took second place. You did Wadapalooza where your team won the competition and you are now a world champion when you won the IF three. So that is quite the exit uh, of a career 
and a way to finish. How how proud do you feel of that that last little run you made? Oh, it's it's really good to to feel like like I gave it my absolute best in all of those competitions and I just enjoyed it. I had a really great time and I'm super proud of me and my team how we how we managed to finish those eight years off and mostly just the experience of being out there and like knowing that I've done everything that I can. Uh, I go out there and perform to my best of the best of my abilities. And I, I enjoyed it in a different way that I had before because I knew that it was going to be one of the last times I was on the competition floor. So it was a great finish. So the other thing we talked about on that podcast was that your journey after competition was going to be to become a mindset coach. Yeah. So what have you learned about how you performed at the end of your career when you knew that it was going to be the end? Did you learn anything from a mindset perspective? Maybe don't take everything so serious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And how much easier it is when you don't have a, have the pressure on you. Um, so that's like to be able to create that kind of environment to around an athlete. So there's, there are no pressure. Like this is just you going out there and performing your absolute best. And that's all we can ask. Um, so I think that was a big, big learning, uh, experience from this, this past few months of my career. Um, but there's so much I've learned throughout the years um, that I need to I need to think think through it and like how do I want to what I want to tell other athletes um, about my journey and like what can I teach them so they can be able to perform their absolute best in the future. So I'm still like thinking a lot about what I've been through what I've learned um, and what I can, how I can um, transform that to the other athletes. Yeah. If people haven't heard the interview we did with you on the podcast, you really talk about that journey and all the ups and downs through your mindset from 2014, all the way to the end of your career. And it's one of my favorite interviews of all time. So if you haven't heard it, please go check that out. What I want to talk about now is the next steps. So now that, that the open is done, um, what are you putting in place currently to get to that new phase of your life of mindset coaching? Yeah, I'm, I'm, right now I'm trying out a lot of different things. Like I do mindset coaching. I do some um, regular coaching. I'm with the athletes. Um, just trying to figure out what do I want to do the most. I also have a nutrition uh, background. So I'm kind of trying to figure out what do I want to do in the future? Um, And then trying to see how the next couple of years are going to look like. But for now, I'm working a lot with Krieger training, my training program, developing that with my coach. And then uh, we'll see what the future brings. So your home gym podiumed at the games last year. Yes. Are you working with that team at all going into this season? I am like, I am there most days during the week. So I see them a lot. And there's such a big group of really talented athletes now at my gym. Um, some, some of them are trying to get to the games as individuals. We have a lot of teams trying to qualify so there's just a good group now, and I'm trying to sneak in some tips and tricks here and there, but we'll see um, how it goes in the end. And you also said you wanted to continue your education when you were on with us last. Have you taken any steps to start going back to school, or is that still down the road a little bit? Yeah, I am uh, studying sports psychology now uh, a little bit, so... That's, uh, that's a part of it with the mindset. I just want to learn more. I have the experience, but I, I want to learn the theory behind why things work. So um, I'm into that now and I'm, it's very, it's a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot and 
that's going to be for another year and a half. So I have a lot to work to do. Yeah. How refreshing is it to, to go from one career and stepping into that and learning something completely new, but yet it's still related to what you used to do. It is. It's, uh, it's great. It's, it's a little tough to go from being an athlete and over to the coaching side, because like, it's not about me anymore. It's about the athletes. So that's like the thing that I've been feeling the most is like, well, I'm not in center anymore. I have to think about the other athletes and how they can perform their absolute best. It's not about me and my training anymore, but I think that's been really good for me to have those athletes to focus on. Um, that way I feel like I'm still in the community and I'm still a part of it. It is just a different way. So it feels good. And I feel like I'm on the right path. Um, we just have to figure out how the best ways to move forward with it. So my last question, you said you want to be around the community. What do you anticipate that first time that you're at a big event as a spectator for the first time, are you going to have the itch to want to be on the floor or do you think you'll be relieved and enjoy the experience? Probably a little bit of both. Um, hopefully I can be there as like a, with a coaching as a coaching role uh, or something like that. But um, I probably won't be on the floor, but I know like it's not my time anymore. I'm, I'm done with that. And I really feel like it's the right, I made the right choice uh, and the right decision. And, I just have to learn to accept that uh, someone else is going to be out there and not me anymore. Well, Kristen, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out for us. Um, like I said, the interview you did with us before is one of my favorites. If you have not checked that out, please go do so. Um, Kristen really details all of the mindset stuff she went through throughout her career, which is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Kristen. It's always a pleasure to get to chat with you. Next up, we have our friends to the north, Catherine and Dave from Fantasy Fitnessing, that take a look back at this year's open performances by Saxon Panchek, Mal O'Brien, Emma Carey, and the Brute Strength Men as a whole and discuss the performances. Were they news or were they noise? Hi, everyone. Dave and Catherine here for Fantasy Fitnessing. We are here to run through our news and nonsense in the open. Lots of athletes did some things, and we're going to kind of look at whether we think those things matter. So we're going to start with Mallory O'Brien. All right, Mallory O'Brien, uh, winner of the 2022 CrossFit Open with two firsts and a second, uh, completely dominant performance overall. I think this is definitely a statement and something that we need to watch for the season. Um, I'll probably move her up to second in my women's rankings ahead of both Horvath and Megala based off of this. Not sure it's going to be enough to beat Tia at the games, but um, it's going to be an exciting season to watch, which uh, as a fan is, is what we can hope for. Yeah, I think it matters because it says that Mal's here, like she's legit. Everybody is saying, like, open doesn't really matter. It's true. They all go back to zero, but they're all training through it. Like, I think all the athletes are treating it the same way, which does, in a way, even out the open. So I do think this is a statement from her that she's here, and she's here to compete and take some points away. On to the next athlete is Saxon Panchik. So Saxon Panchik, uh, the men's winner, I'm not sure this is news that is going to impact the season. Uh, so he did win, uh, which is a great accomplishment for him. We want, want to congratulate him on that. But last year he was fourth, so it isn't uh, it isn't a massive jump um, for him from a placement standings. Um, he did move to Proven, but that was you know a week or two before the Open started. So I'm not really sure that that much that move impacted the performance. Uh, so I think there's still a lot to see. Probably his quarterfinal result will mean more than this Open. But um, it's a good accomplishment for him. I just, I'm not sure it's going to change the course of the season. Yeah, again, just cementing. He's here and he's going to push. All right, next is Emma Carey. Uh, so Emma Carey's uh, final position, I'm not sure what it was, but I think it is definitely something that we do need to keep our eye on. So she did finish third in 22.1, um, but then ended up, eight or nine thousandth-ish um, in 22.2. So this is something to keep an eye on. You know, it, 
I'm concerned that Emma um, carries doing okay after the back injury she sustained at Dubai. Um, it just, something just seems out of place to go from a third to 8,000th and changed. Um, just something just seems off. So I hope she's okay. I hope she's able to kind of get back into form for the rest of the season. But um, to me, this is definitely something to watch from one of our elite athletes. Yeah, to me, it's a bit of a red flag. So 22.2, she was 9,673rd. And then 22.3, she was 216th. Um, hopefully she's okay. I'd say this, given that she was having back injuries and then the burpee and deadlift workout is one that, um, caused her some problems. Hopefully she's all right, but definitely keep an eye out for her because 2,475th is not what we expected to see from Emma Carey. And next we're going to go to her training cohort and just kind of see, talk about the brute strength. Just the men. Yeah, just the men. So I guess this is to me both news and nonsense at the same time. So on the news side, you know, I think it is a statement that these guys are here. So Dallin Pepper, Phil Toon, James Sprague, uh, Matt Poulin, like all of them finishing top 10, top 15, um, is definitely a statement that they are going to be contenders for events at the games. What... I'm kind of concerned about, or not necessarily concerned about, but what kind of is tempering my enthusiasm is that they all did exceptionally well. Like the entire training cohort finishing in the top 15 is, you know, unprecedented. Um, And so to me, there's something with their training that is pushing all of them to that, you know, high level or high level of performance in the open versus just one or two, you know, popping, um, or, you know, hitting the top of the leaderboard. So the fact that all of them are up there, it almost is tempering my enthusiasm for them and kind of a wait to see what happens at the next stage. Yeah, and I, I don't think you're alone in that. It seems a bit sort of peaking too soon. I know they're still training through it and all that, but yeah, it's too many of them too high up there for very different athletes. And, and the newest addition to the Brute Strength Men is Roman Krennikov. No, yeah, Roman Krennikov. Uh, his Open, um, not really where we would expect it compared to previous years, but like this is a guy that might have done three events in three different con- or two continents and um, three different gyms. So um, a lot of moving part to Roman season as he settled down. So I'm not really too concerned about um, his finish there, uh, and just it's more just a wait and see for him. Once he settles out and um, picks a place to train. Yeah, that'll be good to see for him to settle. If you haven't already, our quarterfinals uh, game is open on fantasyfitnessing.com. We got some gooder sunglasses here to all of the podium finishers um, for all our games all season long. So uh, head to fantasyfitnessing.com, sign up for free, um, join your affiliate league, create a league of your own with your buddies. Um, It's a lot of fun. Um, In the meantime... Uh, Give us a follow on Instagram at Fantasy Fitnessing. All right. Take care and uh, have fun. See ya. Thank you, Catherine and Dave. Great information as always. Now we have Spencer Pancheck, who joins us to discuss his move to brute strength. Why this was the time to do it, how it's going, and what his goals are moving forward. And this may surprise you a bit. So we are here with CrossFit rock star Spencer Pancheck. Uh, he has recently made the move to brute strength, and we're going to find out why. So you just made that move, Spencer. Why now? Yeah. Um, so this year is is a year I really wanted to make sure I do everything in my power to be successful. Um, I felt like in the past, I don't want to say it was even my fitness. My fitness has always been there. I train with Saxon and Scott, and I mean, we all go blow for blow with each other anytime we're in the same room. Um, so for me, necessarily, it wasn't it wasn't just my fitness, but um, execution and looking at every detail in, in, in every workout and making sure that I'm going in with a game plan that I trust and I'm going to stick to from the beginning to the end of the workout and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I think oftentimes when the CrossFit media talks about the Panchek brothers, they kind of lump you into one category, but you are very different athletes 
Even though yeah. you and Sexton look alike on the floor, you attack things in a very different way. Is that one of the important reasons why you had to do this? Yeah. I mean, there's still, there's still things that I need to work on and um, what I need to work on and what Saxon needs to work on there. They're completely different. Um, and I think for, for me, I, I enjoy training by myself. Sometimes um, it allows me to really dive into, to myself and, and trusting myself. And it's easy to get caught up in training with people. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to do it. Um, but for me, I, I enjoy training by myself and then occasionally training with somebody that, that can push you. But um, I, I think if you're competing every day, um, I just think I think it shortens your longevity in the sport. And I just think I think it can lead to burnout. Um, again, I did, I'm just speaking for myself and from my experience, um, especially especially if uh, you're training with a like for, for me, if I'm training with a bunch of guys that I'm competing with, it feels like you're going out on a competition floor every day. Now, if you're training with a girl, that's a little bit different because um, the scales and the loads can be um, changed. But, yeah, that's uh, – I mean, that's just kind of my view on it. Yeah, every, everybody needs to have their own way of doing things. And and to be honest, you have competed training-wise since, what, you were 13? Yeah, since, since I was 13. It's been uh, – it's, it's really cool to see how – my training has evolved over the years. So what does it look like now? Are you still in Cleveland or did you move? Um, what so, are, are you going to do it remotely? <clears throat> yeah. So I'm still in Cleveland. Um, we actually, we ended up closing our affiliate. Um, we had a few things with our landlords and our lease and um, logistically it just, it ended up not working out. So um, right now I just have a, a private training facility that I'm just training at and um I'm just working on being a full-time athlete. And so you're doing the coaching remotely? Yes. Yes. Coaching's remotely. And then um, I can go, I can go down. A lot of those guys are down in Naples. So I have a really good buddy that lives down there and gave me an open invitation to go down and stay at his place when I need. So really I could bounce around or I could stay in Cleveland. It just, it depends what I need at um, different points of the season. And you're not tied down to the affiliate right now. So you actually have a lot of flexibility. Yeah. So, yeah. So since I closed the affiliate and that's, that allowed Saxon to be able to make the, the transition to Nashville relatively fast and, and quickly, but uh, yeah, there's no ties. So what coach are you hooked up with, with Brute? So I'm working with Nick Fowler. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very calculated. I've, I've learned a significant amount of information just from, do you have one conversation with him and, and there's something to take away? <laughs> Is it a, is it a give and take relationship, or are you just getting your stuff from him, or is he does he want to learn as much as he can about you? Yeah, he wants to learn. He's looking at everything, um, just from biomechanics to how I'm feeling, breathing, and workouts. It's it's he has a very scientific approach to the training. And so, so it's, it's it's hard because I'm like because we use um, we use True Coach. I'm putting like. I, I try and not get too carried away with, with writing too, too much stuff. Yeah. Um, I always had that problem because my one coach that I had, we used true coach and I would write a novel every day <laughs> and, um, and probably too much. But so I want to ask you, do you think this is the final piece of the puzzle that gets you to the CrossFit games? I do believe this is the final piece to get me to the games. Um, otherwise I wouldn't have done it. And I, I think, um, I think change is good. And I think change shows that you're growing and it's just, it's just like the sport, the sport's growing every, every year. It, it changes and people are getting fitter and it, it's easy to become complacent. Are you happy with your open performance this year? Yeah, I'm happy with my open performance. Uh, again, we didn't put a whole lot of focus on it and we just kind of trained through the open and um, really focusing on the big picture. Did it give you a time, give you a chance to work with your new coach um, through the open and kind of learn each other out? Yeah. So it was really cool because the weeks kind of like progressed as, as we made it through the open and really being able to do well in um, quarterfinals and semifinals. Um, but yeah, it was it because I started working with him a few weeks just before the open started. So it was a it was a really quick it was a quick transition. But 
through the open allowed me to to learn and it allowed him to learn about me. So my final question is, um, those of those of us who have been to your affiliate when you had it open, you're big on vision boards. You know, setting that goal, writing it down, putting it on the board for you to see every day. What's on the vision board right now for Spencer Pancheck? Yeah, so for me, and it it's a little bit different. It's it's changed over it's changed over the years, but I think everybody's goals do. But um, back then, my goal was to make an uh, an impact through my affiliate. But but now it's to be able to utilize my platform and um, and and really make an impact that way on people's lives and um, just just keep people healthy and 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 that's it. Awesome. And I know you're big in the first responders area. Uh, you, you actually are a trained EMT, correct? Yeah. So um, are you going to use now this free time that you have yeah, as a professional athlete? Um, but with the affiliate closing, are you going to use some of that time to work in the first responders world? Yeah. So I'm working on a few, uh, a few little things. Um, I'm keeping up with all my certificates and stuff. Um, yeah. There's a few things in the works though. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much, Spencer, for joining us. uh, And we'll wish you good luck on the season. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you, Spencer, and good luck this season. Now it's time for the Blue City crew to give us their commentary on this year's Open, looking at the accessibility for every athlete and how did that impact the overall leaderboard. Welcome to the Blue City CrossFit Show's little edition of the Rig report this week. Today we are talking about how the accessibility of the open this year and the programming affected the leaderboard. Um, we're a little bit at the uh, we're gonna focus kind of on the bottom of the, mm-hmm. the cut line and because uh, you know, I guess Taylor, why don't you tell us about the top? Yeah. yeah, so there's been a lot of speculation this year, or just I guess talking about how the um, open has changed and how it's a completely different test than it was two years ago, or even just last year itself. Um, there's been some articles by big people in the CrossFit world discussing it. And, um, just one of those things that, you know, we're probably moving a little bit different direction from the open and how is that, um, played out this year. And the interesting thing, when you start looking at the, um, the leaderboard at the end of the open, you know, the top of the top and really probably the top 5%, is the same, right? You have the same athletes that you see all the time. And when you get to each, you know, continent or division, um, it's the same people in the top. But when you get to that cut line of the top 10%, that's where you see the biggest kind of change mm-hmm. in those athletes. And, you know, from a standpoint of last year, when they had this 10% line, um, they added a strength test in and people that did, you know, average in the other workouts and all of a sudden did really well. in that strength test were able to boost themselves kind of just over that cut line. Yeah. Um, but this year without that strength test, it was much harder for those people to really find that bubble line. And you kind of had a flip of some of the athletes that actually found their way into the, um, quarterfinal 10%. Matt, what do you think about the accessibility open and how it affects the the sport? And you were talking before we hit record here about how, uh, you know, things are changing in the, in the, yeah. in the world. I think the accessibility is good. I think by, mm-hmm. Um, number one, I think the, the move from five week to three weeks, we, we debated this last year, but that, um, it, oh. it, five weeks is tough for the general yes. gym members to even, you know, yeah. to commit to. Um, but with that comes, you know, even if you did a triplet each week that you've got nine or 10 movements, right. you know, in, in there, and you've got a list of 30 to choose from. So <laughs> something's getting left off the, off the list. And yeah. I think. I think in my, you know, in my opinion, that's a good, that's a good thing because it's very inclusive for the sport, you know, for the, for, you know, for the top 10%, they're thinking, you know, we want something heavier, we want something complex, we want something a burner, we want something longer or shorter. Um, but I think it's a good thing to get, you know, the numbers back that we need. And I think, um, you know, as the sport continues to grow, I want more and more people to be included. And I think that this three week format and making it a little bit, um, easier from an accessibility standpoint, from even on skills, um, it will help improve that. So leaving out the strength event, um, you know, for four tests, I think three is, uh, is a good thing. And then, you know, I think that, you know, we, this is what we talked about and I'll flip it back to you on this is I think the open from what we knew for the past 10, call it 15 years now is well, not quite that long, but 12, 12 years is, is kind of over, mm-hmm. um, the shorter, more concise, uh, timeframe will, will eliminate, um, 
you know, uh, some of the people that wouldn't make, you know, wouldn't make that top echelon. Mm -hmm. And then now you'll move to quarters where those people can kind of really show their skills and heavy weightlifting and longer domains. And then semifinals is going to be your regional. So it's, it really lines up very nicely from being exclusive and kind of pushing that, that can down the, down the road a little bit to, to find who's the fittest. And so we talked about accessibility for the, it being three weeks instead of five weeks. Um, it kind of being, you know, there wasn't like a set of bar muscle ups at the, at the beginning, towards the beginning of the workout that would stop a bunch of people in their tracks. Mm -hmm. But do you think Taylor that there was, enough balance between like engine work and skill to like really get that top 10% or do you like, do you think like, you know what I'm saying? Like in this, again, we're, we've said five, top 5% even is yeah. totally safe, but uh, um, there's only the three wall walks, you know, they were kind of manageable mm -hmm. in that and that sort of a thing. I think like Matt said, it, it's just changing and it's not necessarily, you know, we didn't find the fittest people. Um, you know, even the top 10% is probably still pretty, I mean, all very fit people. And yeah. even if you go probably out to the top 20%, you have very fit people. Um, it's just kind of luck of the draw. It's like, you know, you get, you know, back in 2016, the first year I made it individually at regionals, um, you get workouts that suit you a little bit and that bumps you into that, yeah. into that, you know, position. And then when you get to, you know, these, um, you know, sometimes you have workouts that you just like can't stare at something and you can't do it. And that's going to kind of kick you out of that, um, percent as well. And so, you know, you kind of run into those things, even with this, even with that, you know, um, eight to 12% top people, that's mm -hmm. where you're falling into that as well. So I think accessibility wise, this year's open was the most accessible. Um, there's no machines really people could have all that equipment at their house. And that's kind of, I think what they were going for, for the most part, um, especially after last year with COVID and all the things that are going on in the world this year, they just can't, keep asking people to have all of this yeah. stuff. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, you know, it was super accessible and you still had a great test of fitness, um, for everybody that was, you know, a participant in the open this year. I mean, I've been on the, Matt, you judged me on the, you know, the Diane, whatever open workout where I got 13 handstand pushups. I got 21 deadlifts in and th 13 handstand pushups. And that's like my, you know, it's kind of like, oh, this is annoying. Like, I don't <laughs> like, like, and that's the yeah. accessibility side of like, this was, you know, you don't even get the workout in and you, it's, it's, um, so I can like understand it from that, yeah. that point of view. Mm -hmm. But at that time, you know, that was the, the open wasn't going to quarterfinals. To, yes. Like, so I was the open was going to regionals. Yeah. And so the test needed to be different yeah. because you needed to weed out your top athletes at that point um because you didn't have the quarterfinals to kind of shake be a shaker of everything else yeah you know and were the workouts perfect i don't know maybe not mm -hmm. um I've, but, I've never seen a, a cross yeah. competition where they just were like yeah, <laughs> so, amazing. so can you know you okay but if you say look we've i got, will we're say i thought have, the games were great last the games, year yeah the games are awesome <laughs> yeah, the games um but you know if we got three weeks to work with um you we could probably move a couple of movements in and out and that would be you, it would look pretty solid. I mean, this, this, I thought this year was pretty good from, like I said, my point of being exclusive, um, could it be improved upon? Of course it can, but I think we can do that within a three week, um, time to demand and, and make it effective. So I think this year, there are a lot of good, um, very good CrossFitters again, um, at their gyms, you know, mm -hmm. maybe like they're the best, they made it to quarter, they're the best at their gym. They made quarterfinals last year. They have, you know, the ring muscle ups and the, that high end skills that didn't make it this year. Cause they got beat by too many, um, you know, people that just like, whether it's a Connor Flynn type of athlete, just, just go yeah. in that didn't make it. Um, this year was the first year where the open did change. Do you think, uh, maybe like a like the top 10%, do you think is generous enough to like those people that missed out this year? It's like, you just have to start putting in the work and it's, it's very doable or how, how would you approach that? Uh, the top 10% is definitely enough. I think last year they did, I think morning talk, did an article talking about, um, what was the furthest placement someone got in the open that made it to quarters? And I think it was like, maybe like 500, like it wasn't, you know, when you look at the top 10% in the U S for men, it's 7,000 yeah. for women, it's 6,500. Um, so when you have someone that's in that, like very top yeah. of that, you're finding the fittest athletes at this right. point. So I don't I, think you're losing that group I, of people. I mean, like just to tell like somebody that just missed yeah. the cut, like, Hey, oh, okay. you need to be able to like, yeah. you just got to be good enough at car at this engine cardio type mm -hmm. work in the top 10%. And if that's too much to ask, then this probably isn't the competitive. I think just, just to add what real quick on what you said, I think 10% is, is more than generous. And as the sport grows 10%, that number 
continues to get larger, but remember it's getting backfilled with people that are newer to CrossFit. So it's not going to really devastate anybody that's been doing it for a couple of years. As you, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to have somebody that's been doing CrossFit else. You know, not a lot yeah. of people that are, that are these extreme athletes in the sport, all of a sudden joining into the open and taking your mm-hmm. 10% spot. Yeah. So I think it works out well. So I should, I don't really need to work too much on my strength between now and next year to try to, <laughs> but that's, um, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing too, is that it just doesn't have, have really any effect on the, the elites of the sport, um, which I, mean, is gonna I don't think anybody is saying necessarily. Yeah. yeah. So, he's going to rise to the top no matter what. Um, so it'll be interesting. There's been lots of back and forth between, you know, is, is it Dave's open? Is it not his programming? Is it some of his programming? Uh, it'll be interesting next year. That'll be like the first year of Boz and whoever mm-hmm. the programming team yeah. is. So we might change again, but until then um, we will have to see, and we'll be working on our, or I will box jumps. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See ya. see ya. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what the next topic is. Finally, we're going to finish up our story with Rosa Giles. If you remember last week, Rosa and her husband helped Roman Krenikoff get his visa and the ability to compete in the United States. However, Rosa has a pretty amazing story herself, and we get into why she came to the United States, and more importantly, why she stayed. Um, I am with... Rosa Giles, who is the fittest woman in Uzbekistan. Yes, Uzbekistan it is. Uzbekistan. Uh, 2021, fittest woman. Um, In my research, I learned that you were a child model um, at the age of 16. Yes, yes, I am. And when you were 18, a New York company picked up a contract with you and brought you to the United States. Correct. Um, that was, uh, seems like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> yeah. So that's how you got to the United States and started traveling around the United States? Yeah. So um, when I became a model, I traveled in Asia and in Europe. Um, and then eventually when my portfolio was built, um, the person um, found me in Uzbekistan and offered me a contract in the United States. Then I came to the United States, but I also kept on traveling in Europe and Asia still. So modeling is not really puts you in one place. So you travel a lot. So. Yeah. And Get where, where and is Uzbekistan? Um, in, in Uzbekistan. The- yeah. So Uzbekistan is a part of Central Asia. And if you ever heard of Great Silk Road or Great Genghis Khan who traveled and conquered, right? Um, so we have, we actually, Uzbekistan has the largest part of Silk Road. So um a lot of people travel back and forth, so we don't really have our own ethnicity because people just kept on staying throughout, and we just have the most kindest and nicest country, I feel like, um, in the Central Asia because we have a potluck of everybody there. So European and Asian kind of like mixed all together. Yeah, very diverse culture then. Yes, yes, we do. So very much like the United States, where people have come from all over the world to live here, did that help with your transition to the United States? Well, I when I started traveling, I was very young. I was 16 years old. When you're young and you travel, you adapt pretty quickly. I did not know English when I started traveling, so that was really hard. Um, by the time I came to the United States, my English was um, better, so it was not as hard. Um, we have some help in a community and modeling in, uh, in a fashion, you're kind of surrounded by other girls who travel too. So we kind of feel compassion to each other. A lot of people believe the models are really mean to each other. It's totally not true. It's like we are there for each other. So they, we got a lot of help. So um, transitioning into United States was hard, but I already had three years of traveling in my, um, in my career. So it wasn't that hard, I should say. It's actually really nice here, much nicer than like, some other countries for modeling. <laughs> um, and then you weren't living the fittest lifestyle when you were a model, correct? Absolutely opposite of it, actually. Yeah, you were under eating, uh, smoking and drinking. Correct. I really hope that your podcast doesn't go to Uzbekistan and my mom is going to listen to it. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I uh, had the most unhealthy lifestyle. I drank a lot. I would stay up really late and I did smoke for 10 years um, before I met my husband and I made the transition. And I smoked when I'm saying smoking is like two to three packs a day. So it's heavy smoking. Wow. And then you had a job that took you to Madison, Wisconsin. 
Correct. I flew to Madison uh, to do a um, photo shoot for the local company here. And um, they were really nice people. And they would uh, book us for like a week at a time. So we work here like five days in a row. And then we kind of created a little bit of like a community by staying here in Madison. So we start uh, discovering little places to go. Like we decided to find the gym. So we found the gym, which was, was really close to the studio. That's how I walked in at, to uh, my husband's gym, future husband's gym. That's how I started working out. And he uh, won me over and took me to the other side. <laughs> and your your perception of the gym when you first were going to co- go to Pat's gym was very different than what it actually was. Correct. In my in 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 modeling, um, fortunately, unfortunately. We get a lot of compliments. Uh, we do believe uh, in media. We, we've been told many, many times we're beautiful, we're tall. This is what all the woman wants to look like. You're the most beautiful thing, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you kind of have a perception in your mind that nothing is wrong with you. So I never went to the gym to um, gain some health uh, from it per se. It was more typically for like just to look good, and it would uh, and genetically, obviously most of us are born that way we didn't do anything we're not doing anything we were teenagers <laughs> this is what we look like right so we didn't put any work into it which is i really hope that people understand and i like especially younger generation that um most of the time it is your genetics no matter what you do unfortunately it's much harder to change if genetically this is the way you are uh, so when i came to passion for the first time my understanding of gym was one hour treadmill right and uh, when I went through a exercise like a like a circuit training with weights and different movements, I thought it was so much fun. I loved it like instantly. I was like, oh my god, this is so much better than one hour treadmill, you know. So yeah, I think all of us in the CrossFit world um, know what that bug is like when you first step into a CrossFit gym and get to experience the diversity of the CrossFit movements. You fall in love immediately, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. I like my my husband's gym is not an affiliate CrossFit gym, and it, but the movements, everything that he does at the gym would look um, would remind CrossFit to anybody. Everybody always when they come to our gym, like um con- like always would say this is CrossFit gym, right? We say, mm, kind of. We do functional fitness. We always loved it. We love CrossFit. We follow it. We're fans, but um, we do a little different training. But like I like. When I, I guess, living in Madison, when the CrossFit came here, when we first time saw it, like I saw it in person, then I was like, wow, like this is incredible. Like, what are these people? I want to be them. That's great. So I think you, I read that you have aspirations to try to make the games. Oh, I would love that. In 2020, um, actually, after uh, when we saw in 2019 when the national champions came here, I, I was very excited. I started doing research as anybody from Uzbekistan got here, and I saw no, no one. And I, being from Uzbekistan, I love my country. I'm very patriotic, and I really um, have a respect towards women in my country. They're so strong, and they're stronger than they think but they don't have opportunities and never, unfortunately, it's going to take a really long time for them to have the similar opportunities that the guys do. And I kind of got me upset. And I was like, you know what, then I will sign up. <laughs> and I do nothing about CrossFit. <laughs> and I was like, why did I do that? But then I, I became a national champion and I, I got my invite to the games of 2020, but then pandemic happened. So we didn't get to go. I wanted to, like carry the flag of Uzbekistan just to inspire the girls in Uzbekistan to do this because in our idea is like the girls don't do that right we can and you we're doing it so well too I wanted to lead from the front although like it's extremely difficult I'm nothing like a crossfitter and I was like I'm struggling I'm gonna die (laughs) and it's like you watch other girls like at the games and they're doing it so effortlessly and it looks so amazing and I go to the gym and I'm like how (laughs) (laughs) but um I hope like by doing what I did for two years then 
showing up in my country and being surrounded by athletes in Uzbekistan, a lot of girls that came to me and said, you inspired us. That was amazing to watch that you actually went through something like that. And now CrossFit is actually blooming in Uzbekistan and it's extremely, extremely awesome to watch. And I really hope, I really hope somebody like their younger girl will come in and she'll take over. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm in, in my 30s. So I'm like, oh, like I, I need a 20 year old from Uzbekistan and just train her or something. Sometimes it's like really tough, but um, I'm trying to my best to uh, keep it up. But um, hopefully I'm, I'm hoping maybe in the master division, I can get there. I don't think I can ever get into an individual uh, competition, but never say never, right? So maybe. Right. And and it you can tell that there's still a sense of pride with your country. Um, so what does that mean to you to be the national champion? It's everything. Um, I grew up in Uzbekistan. Uh, Uzbekistan became independent in 1991. Very young country. It's really hard. And at times it was um, almost like, like hard work like this um the girl national champion in from pakistan said the best in the interview at the games she said hard work not always pays off because of circumstances and i agree because she said when it was so hot you would have to lay down on the floor in your apartment uh, to cool down we didn't have ac we didn't have anything i didn't see barbell up until i was like 25 years old um to work out is a privilege and it is like it is huge privilege and we did not have it so um to be able to uh show to the girls that no matter what like i had a really bad start with uh unhealthy lifestyle whatsoever and if i can do it you can do it like it's fine just we can do it because we're strong and uh, traveling back to uzbekistan and standing in front of the girls who are looking up at you saying like you is that in? like can i do this and then you're like yeah and i would pick up my photos and videos of how I started and show them and say, see, I, I totally wasn't where I am right now. Like you can do it. Like I'll be here for you. I will support you. If you need my help, I can help you because it's hard because it's like, you don't understand. We did seminar with my husband in Uzbekistan to explain people different movements and nutrition and just helping them with their exercises, like routines and everything. It's getting better we can continuously do that and uh, travel back and watch and uh, continuously like invest our time and effort to make it better we'll get there. <laughs> you'll see uzbekistan very soon in Costa games <laughs> <laughs> there we go and so you mentioned your husband when you walked into that gym in 2014 could you have ever imagined that you were going to meet your husband no i thought i'm going to be single for the rest of my life <laughs> <laughs> He won me over. He, uh, uh, his class was so good. And when he was explaining the fitness and just in general, had an answer to everything. And I was like, this guy is either just faking it really well, or he's extremely smart. I started learning from him and um, he became my mentor. And then I just, I, I fell in love and like we, I haven't spent a day without him for the last eight years i think i didn't i'm like i'm glued to him i can't like he he's my biggest um um cheerleader he helps me with my fitness with my mental aspect he's like he totally saved my life for sure like i, I like if i didn't met, meet him i don't know we wouldn't be talking right now <laughs> <laughs> well i love on your instagram that you say that you are the wife of the world's most motivating trainer he is <laughs> he is uh, he's my um we actually we did uh, enter the competition in 2017 with Reebok and he did win that competition and I thought it was such a truth because he is inspired so many people and changed so many lives not just mine and being at the gym and watching people come to him with his eyes looking up to him saying thank you so much if it wasn't for you. And as a coach, that's the best thing you can do. And that happens like so rare, like you would be training these people day after day and they're looking at you, they're like, why are you torturing me, right? <laughs> and then you're like, you've got this, go. And then 
they like look up to you after burpee after burpees all sweaty and they like crawl out of your gym and like i'm never coming back here and then like once every two three months somebody would send you this beautiful note saying thank you so much you have changed my life i'm so much better now that i've used to be our reviews just from our athletes like it melts our hearts like it's so nice and it's true it's like it's all that like and this is for me like between modeling and into a fitness world like it was an easy transition because of what i saw like people were truly changing their lives and becoming better it changes not only the way you look per se it's just your attitudes and everything and you know you are now a crossfit level one and you help run the gym so you have totally flipped to the fitness world and are now a motivating trainer yourself. Yes, I do sometimes still do a little bit of modeling for some um, uh, fitness companies here in Madison. Sometimes I model for treadmills, so still a model. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but do you, th do you think that the fitness world was your calling? I truly believe so. Like I, I actually, I prefer these. Um, I think myself, I'm just a person who are thriving in an environment when like um, somebody needs help and I, I'm very patient and I can be there for you to hold your hand regardless of whatever you are and what are you going through. I'm, I just, I think that was the greatest job for me. I wanted to become, be a doctor when I was growing up. I was, it's a joke now, but we always joke with my kids, my stepchildren. And I said, like, I skipped the grades. I was the, the A student, straight A student in my class, finished high school when I was 15 years old. I was going like places, but a college for medicine was really expensive. My parents couldn't afford it. So I started modeling because I needed to support my family financially. And uh, kind of like, the more I started doing that, I had a sister and I wanted to help her out and I had my parents and the amount of money you make modeling, it's sort of like defeats the purpose. Then later on, I was like kind of like a, a person in my family who was financially helping everybody out. So I kind of like pushed the education aside, but I wanted to become a doctor. So I kind of like got the second chance by being a fitness instructor. So That's I prevent incredible. people from going to a doctor now. <laughs> Cool. That's a great way to look at it too. You know, you're, you're fight, you're combating long-term disease, uh, through the fitness. So, and that's, yeah. that's what this movement is all about. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure to smash that like button, subscribe to the channel. And if you want to know when new episodes are going to be released, hit that notifier button. Thank you again for being here and we will see you next week on the rig report. Thank <laughs> you.